0: My name is Valerie Vetter and welcome to Aftering. This series explores aspects of our mortality. On today's programme, I got the chance to visit a funeral home with a long history of serving the community from its location on Dublin's Camden Street since 1884.
1: My name is Gary Perry. I currently work at Corrigan and Son Funeral Directors in Camden Street. Um, Having come here in October of 2017, following a long career with the School of Medicine in UCD.
0: So how did you come to become part of Corrigan's after being in UCD?
1: Well I took early retirement after 30 years working for the School of Medicine in UCD and it just happened to coincide with a period in Corrigan's where the long-term member of staff who had been working here in the front office had taken retirement and Joe McNamara kindly invited me to uh, consider coming to work for his family business.
0: Because one of the things about here is that we're right on Camden Street, so it's right in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. And Corrigan's is a like it's a, a venerable uh, funeral director so It's been here a long time. But one of the things that I found fascinating was the fact that Corrigan's looks after the medical donation bodies. Yes. And that's, so that's the connection yes. that you have.
1: Yes. Yes, I had been managing the body donor program for the School of Medicine in UCD for many many years. Dublin is kind of unique uh, to other cities of this size because we have three medical schools and each one of those medical schools has its own body donor program. So the three medical schools are University College Dublin, the Royal College of Surgeons and Trinity College.
0: How long are the bodies with the the medical schools once they're donated? Generally
1: speaking um, it's up to two years but of course that depends on the time of year that the person passes away how many educational courses the particular medical school is running at a given time. So there can be variations in the amount of time that the donor's remains are being utilized by the medical school. In some cases it may be only one year and in other cases it may be up to three years.
0: And then what happens?
1: And then the families are contacted by the person managing the body donor program just to let them know that the period of study is coming to an end and to invite the families then to start thinking about the final arrangements that they'd like to put in place for their loved one.
0: So how long does that time span go? Is it, does, it, does it depend on the families? Well, it
1: depends on the families, but the medical schools like to, they, they all finish their educational programs around at the same time, which is the end of April, early May. So we tend to make, start making a lot of funeral arrangements during the month of May and June for the medical schools.
0: So then, Corrigan's is the funeral director that yes, handles all the bodies. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. We're the we're the, the go-to funeral director for the three Dublin medical schools.
0: So, is the case of, of Corrigan's going and collecting the person? Yes.
1: So, once we know what the family's wishes are, we will, between the three of us, between the medical school, the family, and Corrigan's, will liaise as to whether they want a cremation or a burial. If that burial is in the medical school's plot in Glasnevin Cemetery or in the family grave. And between the three of us, we'll find a date and a time that's convenient for all of us. So Corrigans will send a hearse to the medical school, collect the donor's remains, bring them to the cemetery or the crematory where we meet the family. We'll have a committal service, and then we, we all say goodbye to each other.
0: How long has this been going on for?
1: For many, many years. Um, certainly I was involved from the medical school's point of view for at least 30 years, but uh, this, this arrangement between Corrigan's and the three double medical schools goes back much, much longer than that.
0: Is there anything uh, particular about, say, the body donation? Because I know some people, um, they might donate bodies, there's multiple reasons. I mean, you couldn't pick out one in particular, but... Um, cost does come into it in some people's minds is that do you find that's part of it with families? Well well,
1: generally speaking people don't decide to donate their body to a medical school as a way of avoiding funeral costs. Generally speaking the fa- the person has had some sort of relationship with the medical profession so they, they may have been a, a long-term patient they may have a, a son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter who is studying medicine or physiotherapy or nursing and they just feel that they want to give back something to medical education.
0: Do you have to, um, I suppose, say to some people that their body wouldn't be appropriate?
1: It's very unusual that a body would have to be declined by a medical school. The usual cases would be if there were any contagious diseases present at the time of death because obviously you can't expose frontline staff and students to the risk of infection. Or if there was um, very bad emaciation, or if the person was morbidly obese, they wouldn't really be suitable for educational purposes.
0: How many people are we talking about per year?
1: Well, between the three medical schools, um, we could easily see about 100 people a year donating their body to the three double medical schools.
0: Is there ever a case where there's too many donations and not enough...
1: Generally speaking, that's not the case because it's, it's one of those situations where the more bodies, the more resources the medical school has, the more educational courses it can run. So the two things are pretty much dependent on each other.
0: Do you have to prepare families for what to expect? Then? You know, the gap of time that's elapsed, mm-hmm. that two years and now, oh, it's, ready.
1: Yeah. it's a it's a conversation that I've had many times with the families of people who have donated their bodies to medical science. Signing up to the body donor program is the easy part from the donor's point of view because once they're dead, they don't have anything to, to worry about. But it's the family then who kind of have to pay a price of foregoing the normal ser- services at the time of their loved one's death and waiting for a period of perhaps up to two years. And then at that time almost being brought back to square one in terms of their their grief journey so it is difficult for families but most families cope very well because they know they're honoring the wishes of their loved one
0: so I suppose to go back to the the person who's donated their body what kind of forms do you fill out for that well this is this is
1: something that everybody needs to be aware of it's not good enough just to express a wish Amongst your, in your own head or with your family that it's something you want to do there's a very strict protocol in place with all of the medical schools that the person themselves must pre-enroll with the medical school and to become registered with them um, in order for their donation to be considered so at the time of death
0: so the family can't do it once the person no, no, has died no 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 it has, the has the to be yourself themselves.
1: you have to enroll yourself in the program
0: and how far in advance of yeah, say if someone is, is in, you know, at the very end of life. I, in my
1: experience, we've had situations where somebody may enroll in a program today and they may, might live for 20 or 30 years after the donation forms are filled in. And then in other cases, you might have people who have received a terminal diagnosis with a, with a very bad prognosis and they'll sign up today and unfortunately they could be dead within three or four weeks. So, it's, so, it's so so it varies. Yeah, uh, yeah each, each case is going to be quite unique.
0: And how are you finding the transition from the medical school side now to the actual funeral director well, side? Well, I'm
1: enjoying it because my, my academic background is in bereavement studies. So it, it was a very easy transition for me to make um, in terms of coming from the medical school to Corrigan's. Even though what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis is different, Different. I can see a lot of parallels between what I'm doing now and what I was previously doing.
0: Corrigan's handled funerals for the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Is that in Ireland or just in Dublin?
1: Well, the Jewish community in Ireland seems to be pretty much concentrated in Dublin, and it's a small community that are kind of clustered in in, in a very short, small geographic area. So, again, traditionally, Uh, both the progressive Jewish community and the orthodox Jewish community would have come to Corrigan and Sons to arrange their burials.
0: And again this is something that's been going on for quite a while. For
1: many many years.
0: And what's different about the experience of a Jewish funeral? The Jewish
1: community have a different um, set of uh, guidelines, regulations and traditions that need to be followed uh, that kind of make them slightly different to, to what we'd Expect from the majority of the of the population,
0: and what would they be? Well, just
1: in terms of the time frame, um, Jewish funerals tend to take place much sooner after the person has passed away. They have different requirements in terms of the type of coffin that they use. And uh, the Jewish community use a very plain and simple, unembellished coffin. We'd normally we'd normally collect the person from the place of death and go directly to the burial grounds. Uh, The Jewish community in Dublin have their own burial ground in Dolphin's Barn, so all of the the Jewish burials would take place there. So we would meet the rabbi and members of the Jewish community there and they have their own funeral service and the burial takes place.
0: So typically people would not be cremated? No,
1: no. It's not part of the faith? No, no, no. You may occasionally have a, a, a member of the progressive Jewish community who may be cremated, but Traditionally, Jewish people are buried rather than cremated. The
0: building that we're in here is, is it's got an archway. It looks uh-huh. like there's... It could be a horses and a car well, or, through.
1: Well, uh, originally the archway was to facilitate. We have stables. We had stables at the back of the building where in the days before we had motorized curses, it was a horse-drawn carriage that would bring the, the, the coffin to the graveyard. So we had our own stables, and hence the archway is is a feature of the building.
0: And is it the entire building?
1: The entire building. Yeah. Do
0: you store the coffins here? Yes,
1: we have a we have a, a small showroom here and I can show you some coffins I later. I guess I would be uh, very interested in seeing uh, that.
0: What are the coffins that people typically go for? Is there is there styles that are more popular or
1: a lot of people tend to to gravitate towards the same type of coffin. Some some people like a heavily embellished coffin, other people like a very simple coffin, so there is a range of coffins to suit everybody's needs in terms of the amount of detail on it and the colouring of the coffin, but most people tend to steer towards a, a mid-range type coffin.
0: Now, so if we're just going to walk up the stairs now, you're going to show me the... Yeah, i um, bring
1: up to our showroom and we can okay. see a selection of coffins that we have available. Okay,
0: so it's kind of a red carpeted stairway. And I see there's, um, on, over the door, you've got Corrigan and Sons. It looks like a very old sign.
1: Yeah, that's probably one of the original features of the building. And um, the funeral home has been here since the late 1800s. So there's an awful lot of history in this building. And some artefacts dating as far back.
0: Yeah, you can see, yeah. And so kind of, there's a like a, a old wooden door and we pass through. And there's... Uh, a room full of coffins. A room full of
1: coffins. Well, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight coffins on display at the moment.
0: And they're all
1: full-size? They're all full um standard coffins. Um, the differences, as you can see straight away, are we have some dark wood coffins, we have some light wood coffins, and also kind of medium-ranged coffins.
0: And there's one over here which is very different from the others.
1: Yeah, this is one of our eco-coffins. This is a, a, Heisland, a handmade hyacinth coffin. So, for some families who like to to have something that's uh, more environmentally um, sound, this might be an option that they'd consider.
0: So, they're it's quite a uh, they're they're large, of course, because they're f- to fit people, and it's very it's kind of shocking when you see a room full of coffins mm-hmm. it does wow this is why we're here yeah and um, but the the hyacinth woven one sort of stands out is that it seems to be a bit wider it,
1: it just looks bigger i think it's just because of the uh, the um, the reeds that are used the hyacinth reeds that are used makes it visually look slightly bigger but it's it is a standard sized
0: and how is it coffin. all lined and put together
1: Um. it has a, a linen Interior to it, and again, it's it's linen because of the environmental um, considerations and, and involved. There, I don't
0: see any nails. No, there's, there's no nails. So
1: it's uh, it's wooden pegs that are used to screw in the to screw the lid to the the body of the coffin, and there are uh, rope and wooden handles to uh, to carry the coffin.
0: And what what are the range of prices for what we're looking at? We don't
1: we don't have prices for coffins because the service that we provide also includes the use of a hearse and the staff that are required on the day of the funeral service so typically you it can cost anywhere from about two thousand euros to five thousand euros
0: okay depending on all the different things depending on get. the different things that you but get yeah just looking at them which coffin would be the most expensive
1: the most expensive is probably this one here which is a solid mahogany coffin and it also has a solid brass inlay on it um, it also has a raised lid so as you can see it's a very um, it, it does stand out in the showroom um,
0: no it's very dramatic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the uh, for from going into a cremator would that be able to go into a it room? would go in
1: but in my opinion it would be a shocking waste to have spent so much money on such a nice coffin to just put it into yeah. a crematory
0: it's it's very varnished. It's mm-hmm. very um, yeah. yeah. Uh, you could you actually see reflection of the the window mm-hmm. in the top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to choose one yourself, which one would you choose?
1: <laughs> I think I'd be happy to go with one of the ones from the the kind of not the bottom of the range, but closer to the to the bottom of the of the range. To, to go with something like this, which so is... you've
0: got your hand on something that's kind of a paler colour. So it's a
1: paler colour, it has a flat lid, um, but it serves the same purpose as something that you would pay twice as much to, to have. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's a coffin, it can be buried, it can be cremated. What and more do you want?
0: What wood would that be?
1: This is pine.
0: Is the Jewish community you were saying earlier when we were talking mm-hmm. is it, like would this be the one that they would use? No, no, they
1: they'd use something again which is even looks more different to this um, because this one that we're looking at has brass handles and brass screws on the top, and um, the Jewish coffins don't have any of these embellishments. They're just a a, a plain wooden box.
0: Okay, because it's really interesting is that like. Um, from one to the other there can be quite a variation. You don't realise no. from coffins how detailed how much some yeah, of them yeah, can yeah, be. Yeah. Well, on, on one of the ones here, it was just it's a darker wood. There's actually a, like a, a raised It's a relief in-
1: of the, the, the Last, the last supper. supper. Yeah. Um so as you say, you can go from anything to from having a flat lid to a raised lid. You can have some um, decorative embellishments on it where it's just maybe engraving on the wood or a relief that stands out from the coffin to, to show uh, a scene from, from the Bible. or.
0: And, and then on the top, do, do, does the person's name typically go Yes,
1: so uh, each coffin would have a breastplate um, which would record the person's name and the date of their death. Um, and that's really for identification purposes yeah. because when you go to the, the crematory you need to know that the coffin that's being cremated is the coffin containing your loved one rather than another person
0: and uh, when we came up the stairs I found, whoa, for me and like fortunately touch wood I'm touching my head that I don't have to deal with this right now mm-hmm. but for families that are it must be quite an emotional... Well, it thing.
1: can be emotional to walk into a room that contains... Uh, a lot of coffins um because it, i i think it gives you a sense of realization that you're you're here to to make arrangements to say goodbye to to somebody you love and um, it can be a challenge coming into a room like this
0: yeah and you're you're making you're actually looking at something and making a decision mm-hmm. and you have yep. to you know you can't sort of put it off it's not this has happened someone you love has died I have to deal Mm -hmm. with this right now Mm -hmm.
1: and then in many cases when we'd have families coming in to choose a coffin from the showroom it's not just one decision that's being made there's there's a process of discussion and debate amongst the family as to what sort of coffin they they want to use
0: and typically families now they can be blended so you're Mm -hmm. having to negotiate mm-hmm. and figure it out yep. as you go yeah, 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 and it's quite yeah. and and you're also emotional mm-hmm. and you're drained yes yeah yeah so it can, it can be a challenge it's a hard to, job being a funeral director it, 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 it,
1: it, there are aspects of it that are difficult but at the end of the day you know that you're f- helping somebody so the the pleasure that you get from helping somebody outweighs the challenges that you occasionally get
0: and over on there's a fireplace actually in mm-hmm. the room um, clearly not used so. no, no. but um, on the top of it on the mantel, there's some examples of urns of urns
1: yeah so these would be urns that families could choose once the cremation has taken place to either have in the home or to use as a, as a means of transporting the, the ashes to their, their final resting place
0: so, when someone is cremated, do do they actually have them put in one of the urns here, or how does that work? Normally,
1: the crematories have a, a standard basic urn that they would present to the family. Um, it's it, it's okay from the point of view that it's a it's a sealed container, but it's not very aesthetically pleasing to look at. So, some families m- may decide to to upgrade the urn to to something that's. Uh, more pleasing to the eye.
0: And I presume, I mean, because, you know, it's after the fact, you can take your time. Oh yes, yeah, there's no out. there's
1: no rush, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And one of the things there, the scatter tube. Could yes. you talk a bit about yeah. that?
1: Yeah. Well the scatter tube um, is used where the family wants to scatter the ashes of their loved one. So it's a cylindrical tube that opens. Um, you pour the ashes into the scatter tube, you close it back up. And then there's a little seal on the top that can be popped to release it and you use it in the same way as you would use a salt or pepper shaker. So it's just so it, it just controls it, it just the controls okay. Okay. The, the, the the spill of the of the ash.
0: So what is the breakdown between cremation and burial now? Is that changing?
1: It it, it certainly has changed and continues to change over over time. Um in the past Dublin didn't didn't have a crematory I think until about 1982 so the option for cremation really wasn't there so in that case unless the body was brought to Belfast you were if you died in Dublin before 1982 you were going to be buried um now with the cremations and it's it's much more socially acceptable for people to be cremated rather than buried so I'd say in my experience, I have seen a complete reversal in terms of the percentages of burials versus cremations. 20 years ago, I'd say easily 90% of people were buried and 10% were cremated. Now it's almost the reverse.
0: Is that driven by cost?
1: Cost may be a factor. Um, I think also people are becoming more environmentally aware and they don't want to be buried in the ground Um, It also is helpful for some families who have extended family overseas, whereby they might want to have a small amount of the ash in Australia or in the States, so cremation just makes that option available.
0: Is it okay to travel with cremated ashes on an airline?
1: Yes, it is. Do you have
0: to fill out any forms? No, there's
1: no special forms to be filled out, it can be taken as hand luggage.
0: So you can have them literally. So you empty. can have them
1: in your in your hands or in your backpack. And there's no problem. And will like no won't go. No, there. no. Although once a cremation does take place, the crematory issues a certificate of cremation. So it's always handy to have that with you when you're travelling, just in case there are any issues with security. You you have the paperwork, but it's it's not essential.
0: Are there any rules around ash scattering now that more people are being cremated?
1: I, I think the advice is to contact the county council in the area in which you're, you're planning to do that. Um, for the most part, people can make private arrangements to have ashes scattered. But if you're doing it in an area that may be protected or it may be a private area, it's probably best to speak to the landowners or the, the city council responsible yeah. for that area just to make sure you're not doing anything that you shouldn't be doing.
0: Yeah, because I I do understand that some people actually bury the ashes in plots, Mm -hmm. which brings me to the the plot itself. If if people want to buy a plot, what are the range of prices now?
1: Burial plots are expensive because it's seen almost as real estate. And in in some cemeteries in Dublin, you can pay up to about 16,000 euros for a burial plot.
0: That is a lot of money. So
1: it's a lot of money. And this is another reason why families now probably opt for cremation rather than burial, because if you don't currently own your own burial plot, that's the most expensive part of the funeral arrangements.
0: How many people can be buried in a plot, typically?
1: In the modern burial plots, it's three coffins. In some of the older ones, you could have up to six people. Um, but the thing about a new burial plot is, even though it, it has enough room for three coffins, it has much more space available that if you want to bury the urn of a loved one, you, you have the space to do that in a grave. Is that unlimited
0: for urns?
1: Well, unlimited up to the point of it being completely full. Okay. So I suppose you could, you know, in a typical family, you may have five, six, seven, eight... People, so you'd be able to bury that number of urns in a family grave.
0: So that, yeah, I suppose if you work out the maths, Mm -hmm. it's a lot more Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And now Ireland has a lot more crematoria.
1: Yeah, Um, there's there's new crematoria coming on stream um, all the time. The newest one that we have in Dublin is in Dardistown, which is out beside Dublin Airport. It's part of the Glasnevin Trust.
0: So how, if people wanted to donate their bodies, how, how do you start that process?
1: The usual advice is for the person to contact the medical school which is nearest to where they live. So in Dublin we have three medical schools. There's one in University College Dublin and the telephone number there is 716-6617. The Royal College of Surgeons on St. Stephen's Green and their telephone number is 402-2260 and then Trinity College also here in the city centre and their telephone number is 896 1295 in addition to the three double medical schools there's also a medical school in Galway and there's a medical school in Cork so again if people are have holiday homes or spend some of their time living in that part of the world the telephone number for Galway is 091 180 and the telephone number for UCC in Cork is 021
0: 420 5497 What are the forms like for that? How are the questions? The forms
1: are very simple and straightforward Um, they don't require a lot of information basically they need to know your name your address and a little bit about your medical history uh, just in terms of making sure that they can maximise the, the donation. So, so obviously somebody who has a, a very interesting surgical history would be better used in, in one, cor- one educational course rather than another. Um, so it's, it's important for the medical schools to, to have a little bit of um, background information on you. And then just to make sure that you have discussed your wishes with your family, The the medical schools require you to have your donation forms witnessed by two members of your family. Um, So that means that everybody is is well informed as to what is going to happen when that time comes.
0: This is 103.2 Dublin City FM and you've been listening to Aftering with Valerie Vetter. Thanks so very much for listening today. I'd like to thank Gary Perry from Corrigan & Sons, For more information, you can go to their website, CorriganFunerals.ie, and they are also on Facebook. You can find more information about Gary's work as qualified bereavement practitioner and civil funeral celebrant from his website, FinalFarewells.ie. Till next time.